Last week, we saw how the 12 or the 11 disciples plus one, because that is voted one in, how they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We saw how they waited in prayer. And these 12 disciples, they were waiting in expectation for the promise that God had for them. And then all of a sudden, as these 12 disciples, and there are 120 actually, are in the upper room, um, as they were upstairs praying and waiting for God, it says all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, which we know is 50 days after Jesus died and raised again, the Holy Spirit came on them all and filled them with the Holy Spirit and gave them ability to speak in other tongues. Now, the cool part about this was, is that since it was on the day of Pentecost, people from all over the world, Jews from every nation, they came to Jerusalem and they heard them speaking their native language. They're probably thinking like, what are these backwoods, hillbilly, Galileans, how are they speaking my language so fluently? They don't know what this is. How are they speaking it so fluently? And so that's where we left off last week. That crowd forms... And the crowd is saying, what does this mean? And so the question that we're left with, if, if we don't read any more, but the question we're left with there is, what do the apostles do? Do they cower in fear? And do they just go back into the room that they were previously hiding in? Because before this, it says they were behind locked doors because they feared the Jews. They didn't want to be arrested and killed like Jesus just was. And so it's actually safe to assume that while they are in that room praying and the Holy Spirit comes on them, it's probably likely that they, the doors are still locked because at that moment they were still afraid of what the Jews might do. They were still hiding even as the Holy Spirit came on them. But what do they do as the crowd comes? Do they hide or do they stand up and make disciples of all the nations like Jesus told them they would. So if you have your Bible, we're going to continue in Acts 2, verses 14. And we're just going to do the whole rest of the chapter. So, yeah, okay. Verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. Whoever's messing with that bottle, if you can just stop over there. Um, the first thing that we see there, it says Peter stood up. Like, do you remember what Peter was doing 50 days before this? Like, what, what did Peter do the night Jesus was arrested? Denied him three times. And then after Peter and the rest of the disciples saw Jesus rise from the dead, like, just think about that. Like, it's kind of, it kind of makes sense. We see Jesus get arrested. We see him get killed. It makes sense for them to be afraid. But even after they see Jesus resurrect a body, after that, they are still hiding because of Jews. But now, now they're still in Jerusalem. They're still in the city where Jesus was just arrested and Jesus was just crucified. And the Jews, the same people who arrested Jesus, they were still around. But now something's different. Now Peter, he stands up. He raises his voice and he proclaims to the crowd he is no longer afraid, but now he is bold. And so the question that we should be asking there is what happened with this Peter versus the Peter we read about a few chapters earlier in John? He received power to be a witness. 
he received the power. We remember in a couple weeks ago, it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And so that's exactly what Peter is experiencing. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, he preaches the gospel. And the cool thing about Acts chapter 2, and don't worry, we're going to dive into it, so don't feel like you're going to be left out. The cool thing about Acts chapter 2 is that it is the very first time anybody ever preaches about Jesus. It's the first time anyone ever explains, this is who Jesus was. This is what it means for you. And now here's what you should do because of it. It's the very first time. And so because it's the first time Jesus has ever preached in any sermon, like it's, it makes sense that we should understand what was preached, like what was said. Uh, don't worry, we're going to get into that. So starting in verse 14 again, we're going to go to verse 21. The crowd, and then they're asking, like, what does this mean? It says, Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, Peter's getting fancy now. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days. Both men and women will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, cloud and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So notice the, that is all a quote from the Old Testament. So notice the very first thing Peter does in order to proclaim the gospel is he goes back to the Old Testament to show how what, was, what just happened is a fulfillment of the scripture. It's a fulfillment of what God had promised. He goes Okay, he goes to the prophet, I thought we got all that fixed, but that's right. He goes to the prophet Joel first to show that tongues, that they hear them speaking, it isn't because they were drunk or crazy. He's shown that what, what you actually see in here right now, it was actually prophesied 700 years before, and this is what the prophet says. So he's quoting from Joel chapter 2, which is in our Bible, you can read it. Um, but he quotes it, and then he says, in those days, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter, he uses that prophecy to explain what is happening right there. He says, this, these tongues, these languages that you hear and that you don't understand how we're speaking them, here's a part of the Bible that explains what's happening. And then he uses that to start talking about Jesus. He says, God promised all this is going to happen. And then in those days, when all this is happening, those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's how he ends it. But then he goes in and he starts talking about what does it mean that anyone who calls in the name of the Lord can be saved. So after he starts doing that, Peter, he uses the events and of the prophecies of the Bible that also you got to know, uh, this is a prophecy that Peter would have known and that every Jew would have known about. And every Jew would have been looking forward to this day 
Because everyone was waiting. Like, when is the king going to come? When is the Messiah going to come? When is the promise that God promised 700 years ago, when is that going to be fulfilled? So every Jew would have known this. And Peter's saying, like, this is it happening. And here's what it means. And so he's showing who Jesus truly is. He's saying that Jesus truly is who he says he was. And that what we are experiencing right now is real and true, and it is from God. And so he, he uses that quote to do that. But then he goes on, he talks specifically about Jesus. In verse 22, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth, Na, Na, Nazareth, that's not a hard word. Good job, Gary. This Jesus of Nazareth, I'm not even going to try anymore. Was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. So Peter, after he quotes this from Joel, he says that this Jesus, whom you all know, like this actual Jesus, who's actually preaching in these same streets a few weeks before, that same Jesus who you saw the miracles, you saw him do crazy things, you know somebody that was healed by him, your aunt was healed by him, you heard his teachings, you heard about him walking more, this same Jesus, he was the fulfillment of the prophecy that you say that you believe. And through him, God did miracles, wonders, and signs, as you all know, as you have seen, and as you have experienced. But that Jesus, he was delivered up. That's Peter's nice way of saying that Jesus, he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. But all this was according to God's plan and God's foreknowledge. And then in verse 23, Peter gets ruthless. Go back to the other side with the yellow. He says, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Peter is not holding back any punches at this point. Remember, Peter, he denied Jesus. He's like, a little girl, when Jesus was arrested, said, do you know Jesus? He's like, no, 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 I don't know Jesus. Three times he did that. And now he's up there standing, talking to the same people who arrested Jesus. He says, you killed Jesus. You used lawless people. You used sinners to arrest him and nail him to a cross. And so Peter, he's saying that this Jesus whom you know, he was the fulfillment of what God wanted to do through Israel. But you, talking to the literal people in the crowd, had crucified and killed him. He says, you killed Jesus. But then he says, all this is according to God's plan and foreknowledge. And so that's kind of the paradox of Jesus' death, is that human beings were a part of it. They were the ones who arrested and crucified him, but at the same time, it was always a part of God's plan and God's mission that Jesus should die for our sins. That's kind of the paradox of it. But he's saying, you nailed him to the cross. You killed Jesus, but God, but God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And so Peter, after that, 
he continues to quote from different parts of the Old Testament, talking about King David and, and his Psalms and different prophecies. Um, but then he goes and he talks about um, how Jesus was the fulfillment of those things. So we're going to pick up in verse 32. Let me flip this over. My notes disappeared again. There we go. Verse 32, um, he says, God has raised this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. He's again pointing it back to what they see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now notice what Peter is emphasizing here. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Peter saw Jesus raised from the dead. Thomas put his finger in the side where he was stabbed. He put his finger in the nail marks on hand. They were witnesses of this. And Paul, he says later, that up to 500 people were witnesses of this Jesus. And then 10 days earlier, like literally as Peter is saying this, just 10 days before this, that is when Jesus was ascended into heaven and exalted to the right hand of God. And that is where Jesus received the promise of the Holy Spirit and he poured it out on everyone. And he says, this is what you see in here. This is why you stopped and you're wondering what is happening. And this is why I'm explaining it to you. It is all in fulfillment of the scripture according to God's plan. And then he concluded that God made this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, he's being ruthless again. He's like, Again, like this is your fault. You did this to him. God made this man who you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And that's how Peter ends his sermon. He's both king of kings and Lord of lords. That's how Peter ends, and he drops the mic. He says, that's, all, that, that's the conclusion. You killed him. God raised him. He is sitting at the right hand of God, and he is both Lord and king. And he ends it there. And that's how Peter concluded. And it seems cut short. And we're left wondering, like, what does this mean? What do we do with this information now? Because if it's just information, then it doesn't change anybody. If it's just something that we know about, if we know Jesus died, if we know he rose again, if we know these things, but if we don't understand what it means for us, then it's useless. It's just knowledge, Right? And so the crowd, they are wondering, what does this mean? How do we respond to the fact that Jesus is both Lord and King, fulfilling all of Scripture? That's the same question the crowd asks. In verse 37, the crowd that is forming around him and hearing Peter says, When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? pierced through the heart. That means they are realizing the gravity of this situation. They're realizing what this is mean. Like if this is true, then this changes everything. If this, if what you said is really true, if it really is fulfillment of what God wants to do, then this changes everything. And some of those who were in the crowd listening to Peter were some of the same people that rejected Jesus and that were demanding crucify him. Crucify him. And so those same people 
who were saying crucify Jesus are now hearing that Jesus is now both Lord and Messiah. They find themselves in a situation that seems impossible to solve. And the only thing on their mind right now, if this is true, what should we do? Peter replied in verse 38. He says what you should do is you should repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified strongly, urging them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. That's basically saying, like, Peter continued to preach. It was much longer than this. But the main part of the message was, be saved from this corrupt generation. And then notice it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to them that day. So think about how that's working. It started with the 12 disciples, and then there was 120 of them praying in the upper room. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately after that, it grows to 3,000 people. And then we read a couple chapters later, it says that it's up to 5,000 people. And then a couple chapters later, it says thousands. Like, they're not even counting anymore. That's how the kingdom of God is growing. But Peter's response to the crowd, whenever they asked, like, what should we do? His response was, Repent and be baptized. You have to repent, which the Greek word for that is metanoia, which literally means change your mind. It's more than just thinking different thoughts, but it means that. Like change your way of thinking. Change the way you're viewing reality. Change the way you view yourself and how you relate to the world you're living in. Change it to where you realize that God is God. God is king. Submit to him. Change your way of life. You're living according to your own ways in your flesh. To repent, it means to do a 180, realize you're wrong, and follow Jesus. It's a physical thing. It's not just a mental thing to believe. He says you have to repent. Change your way of thinking. And then he says when you do this, you will be forgiven. And you have to be forgiven in order to receive salvation. And he also says whenever you repent and you receive forgiveness and you receive salvation, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the the empowering agent that goes inside of you and transforms you to become more like Jesus. Now here's the main point. This was not a hypothetical question and answer. Like it wasn't just mental things. They had to think different things. The gospel wasn't just a spiritual thought. It wasn't just um, a, a spiritual belief or mental acceptance. The gospel was that a physical Jesus who was actually walking around a, a few weeks earlier actually died and he actually physically raised from the dead in the crowd's response it wasn't just to mentally accept and mentally believe but it was to repent to change the way they are living their life and go and get baptized like physically go underwater and come back up get baptized in declaring publicly that Jesus is now Lord and Messiah Jesus is now my Lord and he is my king And it says 3,000 people accepted Jesus' or Peter's message and were baptized. Like they didn't just walk away thinking, hmm, that's interesting. That's good. I'm glad Jesus died for me. Now I'm I'm good. Now I can just go live the life I want to live. Like that's cool. Like and I'm accepted. Like I'm chosen. I can go to heaven now. They didn't walk away thinking that. They went away thinking this 
changes everything, and now my life is changed forever. And they physically went and did something. Felicia, if you can go ahead and come back up for the keys. Have you ever, think about your, your situation right now. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that was impossible for you to solve on your own? Think about that crowd, how they, the same people in the crowd were shouting, crucify Jesus. A few weeks later, they're sitting there thinking, like, this changes everything. This, I can't solve this on my own. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're like, I can't fix this on my own anymore? What should we do? If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't made him both your Lord and King, then you are in that situation right now. Every single one of us, we had a part to play in Jesus' crucifixion. Every sin, every evil thought, every evil action that you've had is another reason why Jesus had to be crucified. Every sin we commit is us shouting and demanding, crucify him. We put that into practice whenever we're going through that Easter series. We have our sins literally nailed to the cross right there. Jesus nailed our sins to the cross, but we were the ones, we're putting the nails in the cross. Every time we commit sin, we are shouting, crucify him. We all had a part to play. And the, the, the scary thing about sins and not accepting Jesus not trying to go your own way is that you can't get out of your sins on your own. You can't come to God on your own. If you're thinking like, I'm going the wrong way. I I don't want to go this way anymore. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself going back God's way. It's what Jesus did for us. Listen to me. Jesus didn't die 2,000 years ago just because there was an angry crowd shouting, crucify him. He didn't die 2,000 years ago just to save the sins of those who were there listening to Peter's sermon that day. He died because of our sins. He carried our sins, our shame, our guilt. It was us. It was all of us. And so our response whenever we realize the gravity of that situation, whenever we realize what Peter's sermon means for us, our response has to be repent and to be baptized. It needs to be, we are going the wrong way without Jesus. We need to physically change the way we're thinking to view ourselves. We're not God anymore. We're not in control. God is God. He is the king. He knows what's the best. I'm going to live his way. I'm going to do what he says. It's to repent, to follow after him, and then to get baptized. It's to repent of your sins. It's to confess them and say, Jesus, here's where I messed up. And it's to fall on your knees and to say, God, forgive me. God, I need your mercy. And then submit under Jesus' lordship. And then you get baptized. Baptism isn't the thing that saves you. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, if you never get baptized, it doesn't mean you're never saved. But God commands it. He says, go public with it. Show people that you are made new. So repent and then get baptized and then ask and receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can have power to be transformed into Jesus' image and preach the gospel. So now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never gotten to that place 
where you said, I'm going the wrong way and I need God to forgive me. If you're realizing the gravity of your sins, you're realizing the gravity of going your own way and you've never said yes to Jesus. You never said, God, I want to submit under you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, you've never done that before, but you want to. You want to follow Jesus. You want to leave here tonight saying, Jesus is now both my Lord and my Messiah. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so we know who we're praying with tonight. Amen. That's right. The second thing is, you've said that before. You made that decision. But you don't feel the like you're living in the gravity of that. And you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want to receive more more of God's presence. You want to receive you want to become more like Jesus. You want to submit under him more and you need the Holy Spirit's power to help you do that. I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see hands all over. You're not the only one. So in a minute, we're going to go to the altar. We're going to pray, and I want to pray with you guys. But I want you guys to pray this prayer after me. And this isn't a salvation prayer, but say, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. God, I pray you empower me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's the response from the contents of what Peter preached. Based on what he said, we need to repent and be baptized. Now here's the response to the example of Peter's boldness. There's two things. Because Peter's actions should also be something that we want to imitate. Peter went from being scared to being bold. He went from being scared to explaining who Jesus was. And so for the preachers in the room, or those who feel a call to ministry, those who feel a call to preach, I'm speaking to CC, I'm speaking to Gary, anyone else who feels that call, preach Jesus was crucified. Preach that he died. Preach that he rose again. According to the scriptures, make it your life mission to understand who Jesus is and how his death and resurrection applies to all of life. And this goes for everybody. Make it your mission to know the scriptures from front to back and who Jesus is and how he fits in that and how it affects your life and how that changes things. It changes everything. But then use that to say, this can change everyone's life I come in contact with. 